Welcome to Psych Segments, all kinds of psychology knowledge in tiny segments, hosted by your personal psychology professor and made for the psychology student or student at heart, a podcast that even your mom would approve of. Just ask Freud. Glad to have you back for another episode of Psych Segments. Today we're going to be discussing autism spectrum disorders. Now autism uh, is one of the most commonly misunderstood but fastest growing disability in the United States. And whether you are a parent, a teacher, uh, a nurse, or just a human being, you really need to understand this disorder. A lot of people fear it and they have a lot of stereotypical misconceptions about what it is. So after listening to this episode today, I want you to have a better concept of what autism is, what it means to be on the spectrum, what typical symptoms look like, and what causes and does not cause autism. So first of all, autism used to be considered a one-stop diagnosis. You had autism or you didn't. Then we branched off into different forms. So you could go anywhere from a pervasive developmental delay to Asperger's all the way down to a lower functioning autism. Now, since the DSM-5 has come out, we simply have the diagnosis of autism, and we look at it as a spectrum disorder, meaning no two cases present the same, and you could have varied abilities or need for intervention or help depending on the severity and the presentation of your symptoms. So the important thing to understand is that autism spectrum disorders are a delay in development which is why a lot of times the symptoms look like things that could be seen in younger children, but as children grow and we become adults, they should no longer be seen. So they are developmental delays. There are three main symptom areas that encompass what autism is. First of all, you have a deficit in social reciprocity. What this means is that you don't have the ability for that person to go back and forth in social interaction. You'll find things missing, like eye contact, like sharing smiles or expressions, referring to one another, back and forth play, like throwing a ball. You don't see that in autism spectrum disorders. You see someone who often seems aloof, disconnected. Um, at an early age, parents may even think they're deaf because you don't see that back and forth interaction that even with young babies we see, the eye contact, the smiling back when a parent smiles. That's missing in people with autism. There's also no understanding of social context and difficulty in social relationships. For instance, most people understand that there are certain social cues and norms that we live by that help us interact with other people. We understand there's unspoken or hidden rules of social interaction. For instance, if I get on a bus and there's only one person sitting on the bus, I'm not going to sit right next to them, whereas someone with autism may not understand that unwritten social rule. So you have a deficit in social reciprocity. This often is very difficult for parents as they feel like they're unable to connect with their children. And you also see this in social circles as the child becomes an adult where they have difficulty navigating friendships and other relationships. The next symptoms category that you often see with autism spectrum disorders is difficulty with communication. 
Now this is one that you tend to see less of in higher functioning autism cases, what we used to call Asperger's. But difficulty with communication can present very differently depending on the person. So for some with autism, it means being non-speaking. There's no words, there's little to no speech, there may be grunting or, or you know sounds, but there's no actual verbal speech. Um, for some, it can be uh, echolalia, where the, the person repeats back phrases over and over that are familiar to them. And sometimes communication can seem very rapid, very restrictive, very repetitive, and often as if it's like talking to a book or a robot instead of talking with a person. There seems to be this kind of disconnect where the person with autism is talking at you with information versus, again, that social interaction and communication that is missing. The third big category for autism spectrum disorders is restrictive or repetitive behaviors and interests. So the thing you have to understand about autism is that one of the root causes is a sensory overload. People with autism constantly feel overwhelmed with lights, with sounds, with tactile stimulations. And because they feel so overloaded with sensations, they often look for ways to self-soothe. This can manifest in strange or repetitive behaviors like hair twisting, like rocking, like flapping of the hands, or even banging their head against something. Um, you may see strange movements like walking on the toes, where they're trying to kind of integrate all that sensory overload in some way. You also might see self-soothing behaviors like having restrictive or repetitive interests in objects, in topics. Um, you may see that they become obsessed with one thing like superheroes or trains or I had a patient once who was obsessed with Harry Potter. That was the only thing that had interest to him. And if you wanted to interact, that was the one restricted area that he would allow you to interact with. Now these three categories of symptoms may seem kind of hard to understand and put into context of real life, but let me give you some things that you might commonly see with people or children with autism. You may see a child who has difficulty engaging or participating in social events. They may need a, a, an adult or a parent to assist them. Instead of asking for what they need from an adult or caregiver, this is a child who might pull on your arm or walk you to something instead of saying what their need is. They may have inappropriate laughter, giggling, vocal outbursts, or strange movements or behaviors at any given time. They may lack creative play. Their play tends to be very controlled, structured, and missing that creative kind of whimsical element that you see in a lot of children. They don't like variety. Oftentimes, because of that sensory overload and that anxiety, these children and adults do not like variety. They like what is the same. They like ritual. They like schedules. Because with autism, the world is already overwhelming. So knowing what to expect, understanding how things work, is a sense of comfort for them. You also might see uh, a person with autism have some areas where they totally excel, but many other areas that would seem simple by normal standards might be areas that they struggle with. Early symptoms, things that you can see as early as infancy or toddlerhood, include 
Things like no social smile, lack of eye contact, no babbling or interaction with adults. If you point at something, the child does not look to where you're pointing, and they often will not wave or do any sort of back and forth social interaction, even from a young age. These things are often seen but not recognized by parents, which is why pediatricians will often use a screening tool called the MCHAT to try to see if there are any of these early warning signs. So what causes autism? More than likely, you have heard the big myth, which is that vaccines cause autism. I cannot stress this enough on behalf of every researcher, psychologist, and professional in the field. Autism is not caused by vaccines. There are two reasons why this myth persists. First of all, there is a correlation between the time you get vaccines and the time symptoms of autism start to present. They are completely unrelated, but you do tend to see symptoms of autism start around one year of age. And that is when you get a lot of vaccines, including the MMR vaccine. So many people thought, well, the vaccines happen right when we're seeing the symptoms, they must be causal. And that's not the case. There was also a fraudulent study done in the early 2000s that tried to demonstrate that the MMR vaccine causes autism. That entire research study was false. It was made up, and the physician who conducted it has since lost his medical license and been subject to a lot of civil lawsuits. So vaccines do not cause autism, not in any way. We cannot stress that enough. Things that do cause autism, uh, we think may be related to the father's age at the time of conception. We think that there may be a relation to genetics because you often see clusters of autism spectrum disorders in certain families. We also think that it could be an overactive immune system. Uh, we even think that there may be a connection to having a child who is of low birth weight. The bottom line is we don't know. If we knew what caused autism, we would be able to target it, prevent it, and treat it better, but we don't know. What we do know is the best way to treat autism is through early diagnosis and early intervention. It's kind of like with cancer. The better you know the signs, the faster you can catch it, the faster you can intervene, and the better the outcomes are gonna be. So knowing the symptoms of autism is super important. Now, we have seen a huge uh, swell in autism in the media in the past 10 years. We see it on Sesame Street, we see it on mainstream primetime TV, we see it in movies, and while there are sometimes inaccuracies in the way it's presented, I think it's really important that the message is getting out there. Autism does not make someone intellectually disabled, it does not make someone uh, incapable of living a normal and successful life. But what it does mean is that oftentimes they are overwhelmed and they have trouble navigating a normal social structure, which is why they do things that may seem strange. Just like we want to be rocked by our moms when we're little and the world is overwhelming, these children and adults may engage in activities that seem strange, but what they're trying to do is soothe themselves. Early intervention is key. We can get them a speech pathologist, we can get them into sensory integration, and the biggest thing that we can do is use applied behavior analysis. ABA is one of the best ways to intervene with a child in the classroom, uh, outside of the classroom. Parents will often use those techniques at home, and it's very, very successful. The last thing to note are the rates of autism. So yes, autism is growing. 
It's not because autism necessarily is happening more. We think one reason it might be growing is because, quite frankly, we're getting better at diagnosing it. We're getting better at spotting it. So some of the rise in diagnosis might not be because specifically the disorder is more common. We just might be better at recognizing it. As of 2018, one in 59 children had autism. Boys are four times more likely to have autism than girls. And this is an important thing to note because when we're looking for those early signs, boys do tend to have this disorder more, so we need to have a keen eye towards that. The bottom line is this. If you're in a psychology class, whether it be one of my ed psych classes, my general psych, my developmental psych, or any psychology class, you need to know this material. If you're a human being, you should know it too. You should understand what autism is, be able to explain it accurately, and most of all, have compassion towards those with autism and those families who have someone with autism. If you want more information about autism, I suggest going to sites like Autism Speaks. Um, I suggest looking into genetic programs that are now testing and trying to understand the roots of this disorder, like the SPARC program. So when it comes to autism, education and compassion are key. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Psych Segments, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook for more psychological knowledge and to suggest topics for future episodes. This podcast exists so that you can survive Psych 101. Thanks for listening.